there, okay? It's Love uh, Talk Radio. Mike, okay? I'll try to hold your hand. By the way, you're not charging me for this, are you? Oh, no, no. But we get an invoice. If you feel uh, generous, you can always pay me. <laughs> All right, Joe. Sure. Okay, here we go. By the way, can I just say before you start? This is, let me just bring this a little up. Oh, wait, it has to be angled. All right, go ahead. Yeah, we'll go for 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how things go, okay? Well, I, can, we, can we cut to 30? Because I have another, I have someone coming in the office. No problem at all. 30 minutes it'll be. Very good. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Okay, we're starting the show in 3, 2, 1. You're about to hear a revolution in talk radio. Liberty Talk Radio, where the critical thinking will defrag your mind of propaganda-ridden viruses induced by mass media news programming. No BS here, just the facts. And now we present to you America's quintessential iconoclastic anomaly. Wow. In Talk Radio, your host, Joe Cristiano. Welcome, everyone, to Liberty Talk Radio, America's Libertarian Voice, broadcasting from our studio in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to around the world. I'm your host, Joe Cristiano, and this is your antidote to popular talk radio. Folks, it's time for us to take back control of our government. Now, for this bureaucratic, oversized, and self-serving federal government starves us of our property, our freedom, our rights, and our liberty. But to do this, we must shed conventional thinking regarding our political structure. We need to be revolutionaries in thought, dissidents in action, only after we recognize what our government is doing to our freedom and our Constitution will we start taking it back. And this program is just about that. Today we're pleased and absolutely honored to have a returning guest, Mr. Michael Pinto. Mr. Pinto is president and founder of Pinto Portfolio Strategies, which is a registered investment advisory firm that provides money management services and research for individuals and institutions as well. Uh, he's a well-established uh, specialist in Austrian School of Economics, a regular guest on regular mainstream television, believe it or not. And I also view him on, on uh, he's interviewed on programs such as uh, Liberty Talk Radio. Uh, Michael, welcome back to Liberty Talk Radio. Thanks so much for having me back on, Joe. Yeah. Well, Mike, I'll be honest with you. I'm sort of tricking you into coming today. I need psychiatric counseling today. So maybe you could help me out. Um, okay, maybe we can help each other out. <laughs> I need to be on the couch too. You know, I, you know, I, I read an awful lot. You know, of course, you know, I, I'm a sort of a commodities person and an economics. I'm not an economics professor, but I'm an economics guy, a financial guy. That's what I do. I do it as a hobby, you know. And I've been doing it for years. I'm, I'm not as skilled as you are, or proficient as you are in, the, in that field. But it seems that today, almost. Regardless of who I speak with, when we're ever talking about general subjects and the subject of the economy comes up, and I bring up some of the views that you profess and, you know, you expound on, and et cetera, um, and as well as others, they look at me like I have lost my mind. They see no trouble with the economy. Uh, they sound like they've just listened to the latest version of um, Fox News or MS, MSNBC, depending on your, your slant on things. And yet they cannot grasp the fact that our economy 
is really on on the edge. It's on a laser edge that anything at all can tip things in the scales in this favor of the United States. They they won't even believe that the United States is actually in debt. They say, well, we can just print more money. And it, it's rare that I can have an intelligent conversation, a logical conversation with people today regarding the state of the economy. I, I'm not sure you don't have that problem. It must be me personally. What say you on that? Well, first of all, I think the problem is that, you know, people don't have a place to go to to get news any longer. So if you listen to, like, you know, the 11 o'clock news, you'll hear about the fire and the murder, and then you get about 10 minutes of weather and some sports, then you watch the next uh, entertainment channel. That's why I like coming on programs like this, because you are an editorial program, but you allow your guests to expound on economic and market theories. And if you look at uh, Fox News, all you'll hear is that Donald Trump is the second coming of Ronald Reagan, and CNN is absolutely convinced that Mr. Trump is the Manchurian candidate. <laughs> and that's all you'll hear. And right. you won't, you'll hear editorials, but you won't hear news. Right. Uh, so this is very important to have uh, forums like this to discuss what's actually going on. You can actually also ex- expand on and expound upon facts and figures and data. And then, although we are editorially speaking, people can make their own judgment based on data. So hopefully we'll have a chance to go over that today uh, on the program. Yeah, well, even this morning I had a coffee meeting with uh, several people. And now these people are not uneducated. Um, One person happens to be a um, a, a consultant. He helps financing the companies. Another person was an attorney. Another person was a business owner. And the uh, question of the subject of debt came up with um, uh, the state of Illinois. I said, well, that's just an example of what's happening throughout the entire country. I mentioned, oh, Dallas is going broke and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they look at you like, you know, why are you so negative? I, I'm not just stating the fact. I said, we have a debt problem. And then when I mentioned that, you know, we go indebted over a billion dollars every single day, a billion dollars every single day, 1.3 billion, whatever the number is. And I said, you know, when, when the president gets up and says, you know, if we enact this program, we can save $471 million over 10 years. I said, by the time he finishes the sentence, we've spent $470 million. I said, but they look at you like, is there something wrong with you? They, they don't want to recognize the fact that this is the, the fifth most indebted nation relative to GDP in the entire world. I think it's just Italy, Greece, Cyprus, and Japan are the only countries that beat us out, and yet we're accelerating at a higher rate than any other country. Uh, our, to- our, our total GDP is 350%. That's an all-time record high outside of right after the recession started. So when the recession starts, you see that uh, the denominator GDP will drop, so that raises it to 365%. But we're at about 350, 355 uh, debt to GDP, maybe even 360. It, it varies upon the source. But we are right now at an all-time record high nominal level of debt in this country. But it's not only this country, Joe, it's also the, the world. The world is now at 340% 
total debt to GDP. It's never before been anywhere close to that level. So we are a debt-disabled nation that exists in a debt-disabled world. That's the real problem that's ailing the United States and the world. We have to have this uh, jubilee, a debt jubilee, where people have a chance to default on their debt, sort of of what I described as a global reset, and that will balance out the scales and enable us to go on for decades and decades, hopefully, of balanced budgets, stable currencies, stable inflation, low taxes, low interest rates, and a viable economic scenario for the whole world. But we're not headed in that direction at all. So just so you, you know, I could put you on the couch for a second, let me just, um, <laughs> let, me, let me just let you understand why you're so correct. So I'm sure you know this, but for your listeners who don't understand it, let me just replay the tape a little bit. So we know that we had a housing bubble, and primarily engendered from the 1% Fed funds rate that was expense for one year, just 12 months, from 2003 to 2004. That helped bring about a housing debacle. Now, when the housing crisis hit, and home prices were on their way down to 35%, what happened? Did we solve our issues, or do we make them worse? I'll let you answer the question. So the Federal Reserve came in and bought a, just below $2 trillion worth just below, about $1.7 trillion worth of mortgage-backed securities, which basically it's assets held by the banking system. These were defunct, defaulted upon assets that needed to be taken off the bank's balance sheet. So we did that. The Federal Reserve stepped in and took out all those bad assets. But as a consequence of the Great Recession, we saw that the transfer payments from the federal government skyrocketed. And the debt of the United States ended up increasing $10 trillion, 100%, from just below $10 trillion to a little bit over $20 trillion today. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? The Federal Reserve bought $2 trillion worth of treasuries, not only short-term debt, but longer-dated treasuries, interest rate suppression, and brought interest rates down. Now, the Fed's balance sheet went up to $4.5 trillion. Now, here's the problem. So the basic problem is that we went from about $800 billion to $4.5 trillion in a very short period of time. Never before happened in the history of central banking. Of course, you know, Mario Draghi over at the ECB, European Central Bank, and Mr. Hiroshima Kuroda, as I like to refer him to, uh, took the, the Bank of Japan's balance sheet to almost 100% of GDP in Japan, but I digress. So here's the problem. The problem is that the, the Fed is uh, dominated by Keynesian liberals, Phillips Curve adherents, and they now are a victim of their own BS. They believe that they can unwind this balance sheet, and why do they feel it's such a rush to unwind this debt, in other words, sell the debt, back to the treasury and back to the public, back to the banking system, and back to the private sector because the unemployment rate is down to 4.4%, the U3 unemployment rate. And they feel that hyperinflation is about to come, uh, you know, surging onto the floor because the unemployment rate is so low. So they're, they're actually, they've raised rates four times. They started to tighten in December of 2013. A lot of people don't understand this. The Fed had an $85 billion per month QE program 
which they which they started to taper in December of 2013, which happened to coincide with the high yield of the 10-year Treasury note, coincidentally. So the Fed is, is, is been tightening monetary policy since December of 2013. We've got four rate hikes in the can. There's supposed to be one or two more this year, and then four more in 2018. And I will tell you, I just made a, a very, very, very cogent and salient point that we have a record amount of debt. And what does a record amount of debt absolutely necessitate? Low service costs. Right. And that is going away. It's changing rather rapidly. And I can go into a whole myriad of statistics. I'll have to get, get, get you know, I want to allow you to get a question here. But the whole world right now, the whole construct is one of disinflation. In disinflation, hold on, don't bite my head off. Disinflation in CPI and in aggregate measured by central banks, but runaway inflation in asset prices, stocks, bonds, and real estate. Right. And those two things are going to reverse course hard as the Fed unwinds their uh, balance sheet and they, they, they walk down the road to interest rate normalization. And that's when the chaos will truly begin. And my, my models and my data show that we're just about one to three quarters away from having that begin. You say one to three quarter percent away, percentage? Three quarters, three quarters. Quarters of one percent. We're, we're, we're in the second quarter, all right? Oh, 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 I think it's a very high uh, likelihood that at that point the yield curve is going to flatten and invert. I'll explain that a little later what that means. And that means the whole chaos and the whole uh, reality check hits this market very hard. Well, as the, um, the Fed raises the interest rate, here a quarter percent, that means that um, the U.S. has to pay more on treasuries. Everything, everything that the government has to pay out costs more money. Then the debt increases Proportionally, so how do they gain on this? If if well, they're paying well, more out and they're getting less in, I don't understand that. Well, because that's why it's so important for the Fed to hold on to its hoard of treasuries. So, like I said, they have like a two two point two trillion dollars worth of, of, of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. One point about one point seven trillion of mortgage-backed securities. So, I mean, the Fed, the Fed, you you raise interest rates on debt that the Fed holds, and the Fed says, oh, okay, you owe me this amount of money, but I'm going to pay that back to the Federal, to the Treasury, sorry, the Treasury. So the Treasury never really has to pay this debt. The public never has to pay this debt. The, the, the Fed is owed the debt, and they credit it back to the Treasury. But when the Fed sells its assets, starts to unwind its debt, then that's something that the, the Treasury takes on responsibility for, not the Federal Reserve. Okay, do you understand that? Yeah, now, so, once that happens, that means that you devalue the dollar at the same time. Yeah, well, here's the problem. So let's just work through a scenario, and this is very, very important. So right now we have uh, the CBO, not Michael Pento, the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, says that deficits are going to be about a trillion dollars per annum over the next decade. So every year, our debt sits, annual deficit will be averaging around a trillion dollars, okay? Now, that's before Mr. Trump gets any of his stimulus through. So if there's infrastructure or tax cuts, 
That's going to add a few hundred billion dollars to the deficit. But I'll tell you this. The recession of 2008 and 2009 brought our deficits up by $1.2 trillion. So they were about they were about $200 billion annually before the recession. They went up to $1.4 trillion at the height of the Great Recession. So if the deficit is a trillion, then you need another 1.2. You're looking at 2.2 trillion, and then a couple of hundred billion if Trump is able to do any of the deficit spending. Okay? And, and, and then every 1% in debt service payments, increase in debt service payments, is $200 billion. So you can very easily see deficits go in the next recession, which is coming. Haven't had one for a while, but you know, we haven't we haven't been able been able to repeal the business cycle. We can have deficits at three trillion dollars per annum. Now if the Fed isn't buying that debt, and China kinda isn't buying our debt anymore, and Japan has their own mess, well who the hell is gonna buy all this debt? So interest rates are gonna rise even more, and as interest interest rates rise, it adds to the um, annual deficit. And I'll just say this, I want to give this very clear that if, if, if interest rates just went back to where they were normally over their 40 or 50 year average, about 7, 6-7% our average debt service cost, we'd be paying a trillion dollars just on debt service payments alone. Right. You know, we, have, we have a huge problem and the Keynesian liberals at the Federal Reserve don't understand real, all their models, Joe, are flawed. They stink. And they, and they render them imbeciles because they're, they're myopically focused on an unemployment rate. And they believe they've solved all our problems, but they're very much mistaken. And their reality check is coming in 2018 early at the latest, in my opinion. Well, we're getting to a point where as interest rates rise um, in time, our entire revenue will go to debt service alone and not have a penny for anything else. Am I right? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, well it's, it's debt, well, the mandatory side, you, so you have, you have um, military spending, you have Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security spending. These are all mandatory uh, spending measures, and Trump wants to spend, and is spending more on the military. So everything outside of the military and transfer payments and debt service payments, you have nothing left to run the, the, right. the, the country on. Zero. Nothing. That's where we're headed very shortly. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. Now, I remember back, I believe it was 19, oh, geez, what year it was, I, I want to say 71, but we, the interest rate went up to 21%. Could you imagine 21% interest rate today? My goodness, within a month, we'd be bankrupt. I mean, we'd have to close shop. 
and they, they made another one. And in fact, today uh, Mario Draghi made some moves to bail out some involved Italian banks. So uh, Italy was a much bigger uh, uh, GDP-wise, much bigger country than Greece. So what I'm saying is that when the United States has this problem of insolvency, in other words, when the bond market deems U.S. debt to be insolvent, and that's very likely down the road, who's going who's gonna to bail us out? So the, 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 the Federal Reserve is, is duped into believing they can unwind their balance sheet. They cannot. They're going to cause another recession, as they always do. Uh, I think if they allowed a recession to take place, it would be more than a recession, it would be a depression. That would be part of the cathartic healing process that we very much need in this country. But, of course, these Keynesian liberals at the Fed will never allow such a thing to occur because you're going to have to renege on all kinds of uh, entitlement promises and pension promises. Pension programs would be, you know, it's not just Detroit. It's, it's New Jersey. It's, it's Social Security. It's Medicare. It's Medicaid. All these programs are insolvent. So they're going to have to let they will have to allow for a period, hopefully a truncated period, but a period of a depression where people would starve, people would would, would die. This is what this is the point to where we we've, we've grown in this country and the world. We've made promises to people that we just cannot keep. Um, so the money isn't there. It, it'll be a, hopefully a short and truncated depression, and on the other side of that, we can turn to uh, return to viability. But pain is coming. Because, as you know, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Yeah, you have a recession, then you could have a depression, and worse than the depression is economic collapse. It seems to me that we're going to go from recession, bypass depression, and go to economic collapse just because of our massive debt that we won't, we're not able to service. Am I being too uh, pessimistic? <laughs> well, you're not being cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I have to, I have to agree with you because before we get there, Joe, they're going to try hyperinflation. So we haven't tried that yet. That's the next thing. See, right now what the Fed did is they directly monetize assets that exist in the banking system. They never tried helicopter money. Now, Ben Bernanke has talked about it. Milton Friedman has talked about it. Uh, there's more and more people at the Federal Reserve thinking about, well, you know, we can always go back to QE. But QE didn't really work as far as um, getting money to the people. It bailed out the assets that exist in the banking system. So it was a banking bailout. Now, this next crisis is not going to be good enough just to go back and buy some more assets that exist in the banking system. They're not going to just buy bonds and treasuries. They're going to have to do something called helicopter money, which means they're going to have to directly buy debt from the treasury or send money directly to the private sector from the Federal Reserve to the private sector, or from the Federal Reserve to the Treasury, bypassing the banking system totally. So in other words, when the banking system gets a, a credit from the Federal Reserve, they can do whatever they want with it. They can keep it as excess reserves, or they can turn it into cash and make a loan. But here's the problem. Since I mentioned to you, this is very clear, household debt in this nation is at all-time record high in nominal terms. Yeah. The reason why people aren't borrowing money from the bank is because they're debt-saturated. They can't service this debt. They're, they're, they're done. So instead of uh, giving banks credit for loans that people don't want, if you look at commercial and just industrial loans, they're rolled over. They're, they're at a six-month low, C&I loans. So another, another indication is the corporate sector is also debt-saturated. So they have to go around the banking system, flood the, the public sector with cash, 
uh, I'm sorry, the private sector with cash. And in that way, you get a round of hyperinflation. And it's when that crack up ha- happens that you're going to go into a, a, a protracted depression. That's, my, that's, that's what my model is telling me is going to occur. Yes. Look, look, look what's happening right now, Joe. Housing is rolling over. Auto sales are rolling over. Retail sales are, are rolling over. All the goods are rolling over. Core capital goods expenditures within durable goods are rolling over. The CRB index, which has 19 commodities, that's, at, that's down 14% so far this year. As I said, CNI loans are now down six-month low. And treasury spread, the spread between the 10-year note and the two-year note are, is now about 80 basis points. That's the lowest it's been in quite some time. Very close to being flat, flat yield curve. Very close to inversion. And why is that so important? Let me explain to you, please. If you just give me a, a, a minute, I will tell you that when when we have asset bubbles in this country, we have record home prices, record bond prices, and record stock prices. As a matter of fact, if you look at market cap of equities as a percentage of the economy, it's 134 percent. Joe, the average is 50 percent for decades. Through the 70s, the 80s, and most of the 90s, market cap, the value of equities, uh, price times the shares outstanding, as a percentage of the economy, 50%, so much less than the economy. It's now at 134%. It has never been this high outside of a small window in 1999. So asset bubbles are extant everywhere. They need the monetary fuel from the private banking sector and the central bank to continue. But that's not happening anymore. We see the, the QE has ended. They're starting to raise interest rates. And when the yield curve flattens, bank assets, which are their loans, are paying less than or equal to what they have to pay on deposit. Right. And when that happens, the banks stop making loans. And that monetary fuel dries up and asset bubbles tumble. That's where we're headed. All those things I mentioned to you before, the CI index, CNI loans, auto sales, retail sales, durable goods, um, they all point to me that we're headed towards that recession, that flattening of the yield curve, and that's when the, sky, the, the fireworks really begin. You know, if, if you study the history of money, I'm not a historian, but I, I like reading those type of um, dialogue, dialogue on, on, on the history of money. Um, and, and you think back 100 years ago, um, a dollar wasn't printed unless there was some silver or gold, you know, in the central bank somewhere that would back up. In, in fact, all our money was a receipt. It was like a receipt for the um, clothing at the dry cleaner. You know, the dry cleaner had your, your clothing, but you had a receipt for it that didn't belong to the dry cleaner, you know, it belonged to you. It's your receipt. And, 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 the, and the, the, the paper currency was that way. And, of course, our currency was silver. So, you know, it, it was real money. Today, there is no real money, and I am, I am so disappointed in, in President Trump. Now, everyone says, well, he'll solve the problem. He's a businessman. Most of the decisions he has been making is the antithesis of being a businessman. It's like he's never seen a business he didn't like, you know, uh, and he just, he's just barreling along doing populist things um, and uh, – at, at the expense of the economy. I say, well, if he's a businessman, why is he making these decisions? And people are actually buying into it. I don't understand that. Could, maybe you can explain it to me. Well, I mean, I, 
I wore candor. I voted for Donald Trump because I thought he'd be better than Hillary Clinton. But I, I always knew he was a carnival barker and a showman. I mean, you remember when he was a, a candidate, candidate, candidate Trump hated Janet Yellen. I mean, she was a purveyor of bubbles. Uh, now she, she's not so bad. Maybe, maybe we don't need to get rid of her. And remember when he was a candidate, the stock market was a huge bubble, and it was ready to pop. Now he, he, to, he touts the. The, uh, you know, he's watching every tick, and he's like, oh, look, the, the Dow closed up 10 points today. See how great I am as a, as a president? So, believe me, mark this down. Uh, you know, uh, his, that, that statement will come back to bite him yeah. long before his, his yeah. uh, first term well, is over. But, 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 but to your point, money used to be real. It was, it was genuine. But that, you know, you and I, you know, we, believe, we believe in reality. Uh, but if you're a central banker, you believe in fiction. Yeah. And you believe in money from nothing, and you believe in uh, fairy tales, uh, and you believe in free lunches, and uh, we don't believe that way. So uh, one of the reasons why I love gold uh, and silver versus metals is because they're very rare, and they're virtually indestructible. So gold, not silver, but gold is primarily money. Uh, virtually indestructible. That's just one of the reasons why I rail against cryptocurrencies and, and Bitcoin. I mean, that's... You know, I have, to, I have to laugh because people say, well, isn't Bitcoin is better than gold? Well, how, how is Bitcoin better than gold? It's a, it's a pretty good currency, although very, very volatile, way too volatile than any other currency ever. Uh, but it's not money. It's not tangible, divisible. It's not portable. Uh, and uh, I don't think it's indestructible because, I mean, I don't know what happens in such a lightning bolt hits my computer, you know, hits my computer, does my digital wallet, I mean, is there a helpline? Can I pull the Bitcoin helpline? But beyond that, beyond that, um, I mean, if, if God created uh, every other week a new element that was very rare and virtual, virtually indestructible, I would think that would be competition for gold. Right. And that would attenuate and dilute its value because, hey, there's a myriad of precious elements that are indestructible being created every other week. So why do I really put so much uh, credence in gold? Well, if I can create, I, I think there are hundreds, uh, or maybe I even heard there's unlimited amounts of digital currencies that can be created. So why, I mean, what's so rare and special about that? There's Ethereum and there's Bitcoin and uh, all, all, all kinds of, um, of, of these cryptocurrencies. Uh, no, gold is real money, it keeps governments and central banks honest. In other words, the money that's in the banking system is derived from savings, which is deferred consumption, which means it's real, and that savings is a very small percentage of the overall economy, that the money, that the debt level is derived from savings, which is, ends up to be a small percentage of GDP, and life goes on happily ever after. But not if you have central banks that could just print money at, at, at will, by decree, by fiat, and, uh, and then get into the business of, forget about just printing money, get in the business of managing all of these assets. Uh, Japan, their central bank balance sheet is 90-something, 92% of GDP. Can you imagine that? So that so for, for us, that would mean our GDP, uh, our, our Fed balance sheet would be like, Seventeen trillion dollars. I mean, can you imagine that? And what the Bank of Japan is doing is they're they're buying ETFs and they own the entire sovereign uh, JGB market, Japanese government bond market. So there is no escape. Please, if 
by reading one thing. There is no um, seamless, innocuous escape from the meddling of central banks. It's, it's going to come back and bite them, and it's, and it's happening very, very quickly. Yeah. quickly we're, we're about out of time. Do you have uh, five words to say about platinum as an investment? I know we talked about silver and gold, but... I know platinum is one of those metals that is very, very rare. Uh, it doesn't corrode, and God isn't making any more of it. So, uh, I, yes, platinum and gold are I would put in that category of precious metals that are real, that can, can act as a store of wealth. Portable, divisible, tangible. You can divide it without improving its value. It's virtually indestructible and very rare. So, yes. So that, having platinum as a, a small part of your portfolio would not be a foolish thing to do. No, I would say right now, ten percent, ten to twenty percent of your portfolio in, in precious metals and their proxies is, is prudent. And get ready, you know, we're doing it. My, I mean, my portfolio, I run a model portfolio, inflation deflation portfolio. We're up, my portfolio is up a couple of percent this this year. Um, not exactly, you know. Um, uh, earth-shattering returns, but we do it safely. So we took, we're looking at, we've been in bond, the bond proxies, um, because I believe the recession is coming, which will drive up bond prices and, and the yields will, will, will be lower. But then, but then we're going to switch. Once, you know, after the recession comes and helicopter money comes, I want to add one more thing, if I could. Um, a lot of now members of the FOMC and Federal Reserve uh, uh, governors and officials, Neil Cash Carry, the Fed to not only raise the inflation target, they have a 2% target, which they're moving further and further away from, yeah. look at CPI and core PTA, raise the inflation target to maybe 3 maybe 4%, and jump to put a timestamp on it, to date it. In other words, we're not just going to say we're going to go to 4% inflation. Sometime, we're going to reach it by this particular date. And the only way they can do helicopter money. Right. That's what's coming. So on the other side of that, you know, you're going to want to get the hell out of bond land <laughs> and you want to buy more gold, more platinum, yeah. more precious metals. That's where the big bang for the bucket. And I also think that, you know, I want to leave on this. The stock market, as I said, it's the second most expensive in history. Right. Okay? It exists on top of slowing very anemic growth. Growth has a 1% handle. So this very expensive stock market exists with growth very slow, growth slowing, okay, and a Federal Reserve that is raising short-term rates and doing something it has never done before because it didn't exist before, quantitative tightening or reverse QE. They are selling longer-dated assets, mortgage-backed securities, and treasuries. I mean, if that doesn't scare the heck out of you, <laughs> if you want to go buy, you want to put in order to go buy Tesla and Google and Amazon and Facebook, now go ahead and do it, but you'll be making a big, big right. mistake. So hopefully your, your, your audience will keep my, uh, my warnings. Okay. Michael, I don't want to take any more time. I know you're on a rush, but I, I did want to show your book, The... Uh, the Coming Bond Market Collapse is a fabulous book. I read this page to page, word for word. I got a lot out of it. I really appreciate it. I recommend to all my listeners to go out and, and get this book, and I think you'll learn a lot from it. Michael, thank you so much 
for taking your very limited time to be on our program, and I do hope you'll accept our invitation to return at a later date to give us an update. Tanti saluti. Ci vediamo presto. Oh, grazie. Okay. Thank you so much. Folks, this is the end of today's broadcast. We'd like to thank our sponsors for the financial support, and we'd like to thank you for listening in. You can further the cause of liberty by recommending this program to your friends and let us hear from you. Our email address is comments at libertytalkradio.com. Remember, as my wife would tell you, I will allow your liberties to be taken away or you're striving to protect them. Unfortunately, there is no middle ground. Until next time, this is Joe Cristiano. You've been listening to Liberty Talk Radio. We just had Michael Pinto on a program. Fabulous interview. Stay well. Stay tuned.